Hello and welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital. Summer camp is over. I'm out of Saratoga. I'm back in the Brooklyn bunker, but happy to be back with you in the Brooklyn bunker once again, and happy to be joined by the two regular co-hosts of this program. One of them will be leaving after a little while, but it's good to have him for a little bit after only a a quick uh, cameo this summer. And I'm talking, of course, about the man you saw him all summer wearing those crazy shirts on Fox. He is the man I call the people's champion, former handicapping champion, Jonathan Kinchin. What's up, JK? Former handicapping champion. Jeez, I just, just kick me to the curb, huh? <laughs> as soon as I said it, I knew I was needling. Bro's got, got, got a bad run. You just, you just, he's a former. I guess once a champion, always a champion. So, or we could just stick with oh, the people's champion. There is. A, I deserve it. Yeah. I deserve it. I haven't been to the winter circle in a while, so that's fair enough. You'll, you, you just need a little time in the farm, and you'll, you'll, we'll get you back into training, and you'll be, you'll be back up there in your top form before you know it. I'd also like to welcome in. Speaking of farms, the man from Windstar Farm. He is Sean Tugel. What's up, brother? How's it going? JK, how quickly you can fall from the top, even though you're on national television for 40 days. <laughs> Great point, John. At least someone recognizes it. All right, gentlemen, enough silliness. We'll get to some more silliness before it's all said and done, probably because we're us. But I do want to talk to you guys at this critical point in the year, as we sort of uh, turn for home, as it were, to look at some of the two-year-olds we've seen so far, specifically those who came out this summer at Saratoga and Del Mar. And Sean Tugel, I'm going to start with you. Some of the performances that impressed you the most, what two-year-old really caught your eye this summer at the spa? Um, well, I think you can point directly to the hopeful on closing day um, as a great uh, synopsis of the meet. Um, I think, uh, it unfortunately, was on an off track. Um, but if you go back and, and if you wanted to rank kind of your, your top three or four performances of the meet, uh, certainly Basin's maiden win uh, was one that we thought was, was extremely good. We talked about it last week. Three techniques came back and, and proved that that form was very good. And, I mean, <laughs> Absolutely touted Basin going into the into the hopeful by three techniques winning early. Shoplifted was also one of the most impressive performances, and Godzilla was one of the most impressive performances. And those were the horses that came back and ran one, two, three in the hopeful. Uh, we were also treated to an excellent performance by another Constitution Colt, Governor Morris, on closing day. And uh, so I think you know if you, if you look at the hopeful, we 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 thought it was going to be a very good race going into the meet or into the into the weekend when we when we taped last week. It lived up to, to what we thought. It was very formful, uh, very good group of, of two-year-olds that are now going to kind of, you know, branch off from each other. And, and I'm sure we'll see one, one or two at Keeneland. We'll see one or two at, in the Champagne, and, and maybe they'll go to one of the other preps as well to kind of spread out. But uh, certainly um, very excited to, to see those performances at the end of the meet. And, uh, you know, there's a couple other performances, both on the West Coast and, and at Ellis, which is becoming, you know, a hot spot for two-year-olds, too, through the summer that uh, I'm sure that we'll want to talk about, too. We'll get there in a minute. I just wanted to pause quickly on the hopeful and ask you about Godzilla going forward and if you, what you thought. Uh, there are plenty of excuses one could conjure uh, that he didn't show, didn't, didn't run to the looks necessarily. I mean, I thought walking by, I was just blown away by Godzilla and was surprised, uh, honestly, as much as I like Basin, was surprised to not see Godzilla even closer there at the end. Was curious if you thought that might be related to the mud, might be related to the distance. Just to take your temperature on that idea before we bring in JK for his thoughts and loop back to some of these other juveniles. 
Well, I certainly don't think he necessarily lost anything in defeat. Uh, his very first performance was a very good race, and his second lifetime performance was in, was in, on an off track uh, in a Grade One, and he and he you know he ran pretty hard, and he still hit the board. I don't think you lose too much. Um, do you feel like you came out of there with you got the greatest two year old since sliced bread here? That you know at the end of the meet, no, but I don't think uh, I don't think any of those horses, you know, both shoplifted and Gazilla running behind base. I don't feel like uh, either of them lost a whole lot. I think there's some positives still. You can take away shoplifted, closed into into a little bit of that pace and, and past horses, which was good to see. I think he'll love two turns. I do wish Greenlight Go would have run. I think that's a horse that, uh, you know, him scratching out of the race diminished it just a tick, but not much. And certainly uh, can't wait to see him run against some of these horses in, in one of the next upcoming preps too. Yeah, you got to figure they did what was right for him on the day, and we'll see him at Belmont soon. I am very curious to see how Greenlight Go continues to progress. J.K., which two-year-olds at the meet uh, in Saratoga will start with really impressed you? Oh, I had a few. I, I thought that uh, I, I thought that uh, Godzilla's performance prior to the to the hopeful was was magnificent. Obviously, uh, I think the track conditions didn't help him. I'd love to see him run back and then obviously uh sean mentioned governor morris was very impressive as well but that happened on a sloppy track too so i can't wait to watch both of those horses run back the other one that i thought was that i'm looking forward to at the tumbling sky uh was good for steve asmussen that that won i believe it was on same day as uh, four star dave day four star Dave. same day as Godzilla. it was the other the other division of that race and uh, there was more going on in terms of pace in that race. I think you can arguably say that Tumbling Sky was as impressive on the racetrack as Godzilla. Absolutely. And then I'll give you two turf horses that I thought, turf fillies that I thought were impressive, that I'm looking forward to watching them in their next starts. And that was Chris Stahl for John Kimmel and Kamari for Wesley Ward. I thought those two fillies were, were very impressive in their respective races. Uh, Chris Stahl, obviously the one that was part of the uh, controversial DQ uh, the horse that she actually interfered with that day came back and won uh, closing weekend uh, for Todd Pletcher. I'm going blank on the name, of course, but um, Crystal I thought was was very impressive, and I look forward to seeing her run back uh, wherever she shows up. Yeah, J.K., that was uh, the more than ready Philly sparkling sky who uh, came back to win for uh, Todd Pletcher, Barry Schwartz, and uh, – meet leading Jose Ortiz. Yeah, so obviously she her 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 running coming back and running so well franks the race that Cristal was disqualified. Cristal franks that performance by coming back to win the stake. Um I think that she's going to be special. I love the way she runs. I don't like I've said before, I don't know a lot about how a horse moves on the racetrack, but I do know as a turf horse, she really drops her head and levels off she looks different running down the lane than some of the others. So I'm looking forward to see what's going to happen with Crystal. I wanted to ask you guys about another Todd Pletcher runner, one who I thought in the paddock looked, looked well, but one that looked to me like might even have more room to progress and ran pretty darn well as it was. No word, this silent name out of Listen AP. Uh, who ran on August 31st, getting the job done with a, with a pretty strong figure and, and showed some real courage and class in the process. Did you uh, did you have any particular impression of this one, Sean? Um, certainly, he d he did look like a horse going forward that has plenty of talent. Um, bred by Wertheimer and Frere, 
he's a full brother to Silencio, who was a high-level graded stakes horse. Um, so certainly the breeding's there, the connections are there, and uh, he was quite impressive. Um, I thought some other horses that, that J.K. didn't impress upon that I'm excited to see run back would be Tis the Law, Barkley Tag's first time out winner. Yes, uh, yes. That horse was very impressive. Um, and then on the Philly side, you know, um, Shug just had the first time winner, uh, the Blaine Philly for Helen Alexander. Alandra. She was an extremely, yep, she was a, an extremely um, impressive two-year-old down at, in Florida over the winter time. They were very high on that Philly. Um, and, and certainly Mrs. Danvers is, is another one for Shug. He's loaded with two-year-old Phillies right now. So um, those are two Phillies that, uh, that kind of stamp themselves as, as ones to watch, I think, coming out of the meet, too. Sean Clancy even used the term Oaks Philly after uh, Alandra had had crossed the line. He's not one to to go for hyperbole. I thought that was, I thought that was pretty interesting that he was that he was so impressed by that he was so impressed by her. And I'm I'm glad you mentioned the the tag runner. What was that name again on the tag runner, Sean? Tis the law. Tis the law. One who I heard a lot of people, including Maggie Wolfendale, talk about as one of the most uh, most impressive firsters they saw at saratoga jk anything else to talk about for you from the saratoga juveniles before we move around and talk about some from the other parts of the country including uh, the a, a runner from ellis we talked about a little earlier in the meet i just wanted to mention one more thing on shoplifted um i thought shoplifted was was his maiden win was very impressive um, and I just remember hearing the post-race interview when Steve Asmussen was doing his best Chad Brown impersonation <laughs> by winning, having three horses finish in a grade one, one, two, three. He was he kind of gave a one-liner for every single one of the horses that was in the race, and one of the things he said about shoplifted is Joel said he was just spinning his wheels. You could see and it. So you could see it in if, the tape. The way that he ran, if he was spinning his wheels – uh, I can't wait to see him run in a race with a little bit more distance where his wheels are actually grabbing the racetrack. Yes, exactly. Get off that slop. Looked like one to me visually that would that would move up. Sean, anything else from Saratoga? Or do you want to tilt the conversation to Ellis Park? Uh, I think we can we can move forward and, and discuss some of the other ones that we've seen both at Del Mar and Ellis. All right, well, let's go on to this uh, big figure winner. Is that still the highest two-year-old buyer speed figure we saw at Ellis Park this summer? It's, it is still the highest in the country, 97. Um, very impressive horse. He's, he's been working bullets back at Churchill Downs in preparation for the Iroquois Stakes. I believe it's in two weeks. I think it's on the 14th, the, the Iroquois. So uh, Dennis's moment, um, certainly he's going to love the two turns. Um, you know, Tisnow's already had great grade one winners out of Mr. S- Mr. Prospector line mare. So um, the breeding's there. And, uh, I, you know, I still think that was one of the top-notch performances we've seen anywhere in the country so far this summer. And uh, pretty excited to see him come back. He's in, in great hands with Dale Romans, obviously. And uh, he's the one, I think, that, uh, you know, he, he, it, was, it feels like it's been a while ago since he ran, but... Uh, you know, I'm pretty excited for the anticipation coming up, and uh, he certainly in the mornings doesn't look like he's, uh, he's, he's missing any beats. Giving time after a performance like that makes a ton of sense. J.K., are you as bullish about Dennis's moment going forward as Sean is? Well, I thought he was very impressive. I know some speed figures have him running a triple-digit buyer in that first race, so obviously that's um, uh, something to, to, to keep an eye on. I, you know, and, and Dale... I ran into Dale one night out at Saratoga, and Dale and I have a joke because 
he was having that really bad meet at Churchill. And the first time I said hello to him, because we had had like a layover together, so we knew each other just from that layover one time. I said hello to him. He won his first race. And then I, inter- <laughs> and then I interviewed him afterwards. And then the next time he won his next race, I was there again. So he told me that he wants to fly me out for uh, for Dennis's Dennis's moments next race. So, uh, but good luck, Charles. It's got to be first class, Dale. It's got to be first class. <laughs> and you have to wear the appropriate shirt too. Absolutely, whatever it, whatever it takes. All right, speaking. No, of, I, I maybe, think he's a maybe really, the two, really talented horse. Maybe, the, maybe the two of you need to get matching shirts. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That is a fantastic idea. All right, speaking of trainers who have made the mistake of making your acquaintance, JK, I famously, Bob Baffert, uh, not only had your acquaintance for a while, but but sort of infamously uh, made the very questionable decision of giving you his cell phone number when you guys were chatting at the sales. So I can only assume that ever since that moment, you've been blowing him up about his various two-year-olds running out at Del Mar. Curious to get uh, any kind of update you have about uh, what's been going on with the Baffert two-year-olds and just your own impre- your own objective impressions about what you've seen on the racetrack as well. I have not uh, taken advantage of it too much, even though I did too think much. it would Notice be funny. Notice how he slid in the too much there. <laughs> no, I, I did think it would be funny to, like, text him uh, every day about every runner just to see, <laughs> until, and see if he got annoyed. <laughs> but, no, um, I know that he's very high on eight rings, but I know that's not surprising anyone. Uh, to hear that he's high on the uh, the son of Empire Maker, who uh, obviously had the weird situation in in the uh, out of Del Mar, the Futurity, where he lost uh, Drayden Van Dyke at, at at fifty cents on the dollar, where a, uh, a forty or fifty to one shot won the race. Uh, you'd like to think that if he would have gotten away from there clean, whether he was seven wide, buried on the rail, or twelve wide, he would have got the job done if he could have kept his rider on. That's a that's some crazy stuff. That that's for sure. Not not what you wanted to see from that runner. What happened in your estimation there, J.K.? Just completely random. Anything to 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 put you off or give you pause, or is just one of these things you you move you put a line through and you rate the horse on his previous race? I think you just put a line through it. I don't think there's anything that uh, you know. Maybe just two year olds, green two year olds doing two year old things. Um, uh, no, but I wouldn't look too deep into to, to that situation moving forward. Sean Tugel, I want to get your thoughts on the two-year-olds we've seen out at Del Mar. What's caught your eye out there on the West Coast? Um, well, certainly Eight Rings was definitely the horse um, that had the most impressive start and, and probably still has the most impressive race won out there so far. It, it was a shame that um, some bad racing luck occurred there in, in, in the futurity and kind of changed the whole outlook of the entire race. Um, I, I don't think he loses anything from, from that mishap, and, and he should come back. And, and most likely the, uh, the front-runner stakes there at Santa Anita and, and would expect him to go off favorite probably. Um, now, the, I will say another horse that really caught my eye, which occurred this past weekend, was the uh, American Pharaoh American Theorem. I thought that was a really good race. Um, one of the things that stood out to me was, was the horse – uh, was very classy in the sense that uh, he took a lot of dirt, uh, was very responsive to the rider. He waited for the rider to give him his cues, and, and when that hole opened up, he just he shot right through it and, and looked like a horse that moves like a, like a high-quality animal, obviously out of a mare, Mighty Renee, who's produced several fast horses um, for Mr. Liviaka. So, 
you know, I think uh, this this is a, a horse who was bred by Sierra Farm, who produces good horses, uh, quality stakes horses that uh, has a big future as well. So those are the two for me coming out of Del Mar on, on the Colts side. JK, any other thoughts on Del Mar, Colts, or Phillies? No, I mean, I obviously uh, the 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 one Colt that probably needs to be talked about is is Garth, who is one that. Um, was, was supposedly highly touted and, and he was beat on debut and then uh, stopped pretty badly last time. So I'd be interested to see what happens with him. I know that, that, uh, that Bob and the workout reports were high on Garth. You know, I think he had, he had, he was first seen where he, uh, he was working with eight rings, heads up with eight rings and arguably better than eight rings. And so uh, be interested to see what happens with him moving forward. All right, Sean, anything else for you on these two-year-olds before we let uh, J.K. get off to his next stop and bring in our next guest? No, I, I do think um, just kind of looking at, at the Philly division out on the West Coast, I do think the the Philly that won, um, the Oklahoma Philly that won there, the, the Delmar debutante, uh, I thought that was quite impressive in her second race. Uh, the small addition of blinkers really moved her up. But it, it also was a very head-scratching um you know, I, I, the, the horses behind her kind of looked like they were swimming in quicksand there coming down the lane. So uh, obviously with Amalfi Sunrise out on the West Coast and immediate impact missing the debutante and maybe being on the sidelines for a little bit, uh, that's certainly a division that's kind of really uh, up in flux right now. And, uh, and so it looks like maybe the East Coast Phillies might have the advantage over the West Coast maybe leading up to the Breeders' Cup. Bast, the name of that Del Mar debutante winner. We're going to be obviously following this division with great interest as we start now on with the march in earnest to the Breeders' Cup, which is coming up sooner than you think. All right, JK, I know you've got places to go, people to see. So do we. But we're going to uh, bid you adieu, and hopefully we're going to have you back as a regular contributor on this podcast for the next uh, few weeks and months. I'm ready to rock. All right, buddy, have a good one. And now we'd like to welcome to the In the Money Airwaves the owner of Jackpot Farm, Terry Green. Terry, how are you today? I'm doing great. Well, I would imagine you are doing great because in addition to everything else you've got going on, you've got a pretty great-looking two-year-old in your hands in Basin who impressed us all mightily in the hopeful stakes. We'll start off by asking you about Basin and how he came into your hands and what your uh, what your experience has been like on this ride with him so far. Yeah, it's been really unbelievable. Um, you know, we bought the coat um, last year. Um, Bobby Powell is um, our consultant, and he picked him out. And, um, you know, we looked at him. We liked him a lot and everything. Uh, we always tried to buy earlier months, but this coat was so well built and everything, it was strictly confirmation. We just loved it so we ended up purchasing him, and um, it's just been a been a very exciting ride. <laughs> Were you in Saratoga for the hopeful? Were you able to attend in person? Oh yes, sir. We, me and about twenty five of my best friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we made a little special ourselves. Everybody just went nuts in the stands after it happened. <laughs> I think people love to see that enthusiasm that really attracts people to uh, that really attracts people to racing. And we'll get to how you got into racing in a minute. But I want to pause on Basin for a minute. One thing I thought when he walked by me going out to the track was that this looked like one built not just for uh, two-year-olds in the fall, but one that that really had the potential on looks uh, to to stretch out and run farther. What are your hopes for this horse, and what's the plan going forward? 
Yes, um, yeah, that's kind of what we thought. You know, when we first him, we looked at the bloodline and everything. We thought, you know, distance and everything. But he had such early speed. I mean, Steve kept telling us, you know, this horse is, I mean, he used his words, he's kind of a freak. You know, we thought he was a distance horse, but he had such such big speed on the front end. So, you know, that's kind of why we're all excited about it. You know, and him being a Mayfoe, I think, you know, I hadn't been in this game very long, but, you know, when you haven't had – it's much time to grow as the other ones, and you have this kind of speed at, at this particular time in the game, it looks like to me, you know, that you might have an A-plus horse here. So um, we're very, very, very excited about him. Um, we're looking at the um, Breeders' Paturity at Kingland in October, and uh, with a little bit of luck, if we win that one, then, you know, of course, we, we're pointing toward the Breeders' Juvenile. So. Excellent. Terry, it's Sean Tugel here. And, and first off, congratulations with Basin. It's obviously very Thanks, exciting Sean. and, and uh, fantastic. Um, certainly, Bobby Powell's a fantastic consultant to have. He's, he's had a long run of success with Mr. Rutherford there, Manchester Farm. Um, how did you guys get, get to come together? And, and then what, what type of strategy okay. do, you, do you guys use at the sales? Are you looking for horses uh, more of a classic type or, or, or a mix between Colts and Phillies? What, what kind of strategy will you have going to September this year? Yeah, um, we're looking I, – I would say, you know, our game plan was, you know, it's, I think it's everybody's dream to get into this stuff, to, you know, go to the Derby, you know, and that was always a dream of mine. Ever since I've been, a, you know, when I was nine years old, I came up here, my parents came up here on vacation, and um, we got the tour of Calumet. And for some reason, that just always stuck with me. I don't know why, but it did, you know, and it was always a dream of mine to come up here one day, if I could ever afford it, and, um, you know, build a place and um, get into the thoroughbred business. So that's kind of was a dream of mine as a young kid. But um, I met um, a guy named Mike Rutherford Sr., which I think everybody pretty much knows who Mike Rutherford Sr. Sure. is. But um, I met him uh, through his son. We were in the cutting horse business. I was um, I rode cutting horses for about 15 years and had a um, large operation in Texas in Weatherford. And I rode cutting horses for 15 years. But I've always loved horses. And so – um, Mike Jr. introduced me to his father, and his father invited me to come up to Kentucky. And I said, "Oh, great, let's do it." And I came up here. And of course, the, right after I got here, I just fell kind of back in love with it. And um, Mike um, convinced me to buy a horse with him, and we bought a horse called Mississippi Delta. And of course, that really gave me the fever because she was a Grade Three. I mean, we did real good with her. I think she won six, seven hundred thousand dollars, and then we sold her. But um, that's kind of what gave me the fever. So um, once I got up here, that's kind of how I met Bobby, was through Mike. And um, gracious of Mike, he said, look, if you want to, you know, cut some type of deal with Bobby so that, you know, he can help you because he can guide you through this business. And that's one thing I learned a long time ago. you got to surround yourself with people that know more than you do. And he definitely knows a lot more about horses than I do. So that's kind of how we got with Bobby. And I've been friends with him for years. And then um, now I've hired him as a consultant and um, he, he consults. We never buy a horse without Bobby's okay on it. Excellent. And it looks like uh, that, that trip up here to Kentucky has, has gotten you all in on the business and, and you're, you're building a farm here in, in Lexington. And, and would you like to expand upon that and how many acres you have and, and what the plans are for the farm? Sure. Um, we got uh, we got 115 acres up here. Um, we um, It's on Greenwich Pike. It's 5,500 Greenwich Pike. I, I'm a developer by heart. Um, that's kind of been my business my whole life. So, you know, when I came up here and looked around, um, 
Bill Justice has showed me this piece of property, and I guess I looked at 30 pieces of property, and it always kept coming back to this piece, and it was just a, a raw piece of land. And um, so we've uh, taken it and kind of we've been working on it now for over two years. I hired a guy named John Howard who um, had retired from Kingland that was a builder, and um, I hired him, and we kind of came up here and bought the land, and um, we've built barns on it, guest houses, paddocks, and everything. And um, we have um, the grass is just about ready. We're going to start bringing. I've been accumulating some brood mares over the last year, year and a half. So um, we're going to start bringing all the horses in in November. And we hired a guy that worked for Mike for many years, was ready to take the management position. His name was John Howard. So we've hired him. So we have a pretty good team put together. We think um, my son-in-law. Um, when I brought him up here, I mean, it was, he took to it like a duck to water. You know, he just fell in love with the deal and had really no experience about it, but he's a very, very sharp individual. And he is, um, he's managing the operation for me. He's, you know, just kind of dove in it with both feet, I guess you would say. And, um, he's been pretty impressive so far. He's a lot of the reasons why we've been as successful in a short period of time as we are. He studies it day and night. So. That's great. That kind of dedication is so important. And your enthusiasm, it's uh, its contagious talking to you. And it's great to hear. We hear a lot of people in 2019 talking about uh, the betting business and sports gambling and casino gambling. You have a very interesting trajectory coming from the world of casinos into the world of racing. And I wanted to ask about about that that transition and for you to sort of compare and contrast the gambling business that you see on the casino side versus what we deal with every day in the world of racing. Well, you know, my theory is, you know, I mean, horse racing has been around for a long time. I know gambling has too, but I think that's what it, kind of where the roots of all this stuff started way back in the day. So, you know, it was very exciting. I've been in the business for about 35 years in the casino business, and I've seen it go you know, from the first time I went to Las Vegas downtown to the strip developing and then the other states coming in to, to doing this, you know. And like I said, Mississippi, um, I was one of the pioneers. Me and my partner, Rick Carter, were one of the pioneers in Mississippi um, to get the casino business going in Mississippi. And at the time, um, we lobbied and passed the law. We were like the third state um, to ever do it. And it's just gotten so contagious and it's grown. And it's just a big entertainment business. And, um, I think, you know, you can look at Arkansas and places like that where um, in Louisiana, I mean, the list goes on and on. But I think the casino business has really helped to put the horse business kind of back in the forefront. That's kind of how I see it. And um, I just think it's very, very exciting. I think a lot of good things are going on with what's going on around the country. And, you know, it enables these purses. I mean, the, the beautiful thing about this sport that I see now is that, I mean, it's always been a business, but it's just getting to be a bigger business because of what's happening to these purses. I mean, you can go out and you can pay bigger money for these horses now, and it's not such an upside-down business, I don't believe. I just believe that um, with this horse racing business and the way the purses are nowadays, that I think it's going to attract more and more people. And I, I just think um, we're fixing to have a second boom in the horse business. I love that vision, that's for sure. Can you think of any particular lesson that – the horse racing business from a gambling perspective can learn from the casino world. I think, um, entertainment more. So I think, you know, my over I mean, I think if we could bring a little bit more excitement as far as entertainment toward, um, 
you know, the racing business. I mean, I know on, you know, TVG and some of these TV stations now that people can watch it a lot more. Um, I think that's helped. But I think the big thing is marketing. I think you just got to get out and market your product. I mean, you look at the NFL and, and football and all that. I mean, that's all great sports and everything. But I think once you start understanding and, and we can market this and get more people to, to get more involved in this thing, it's just, you know, I mean, even my friends, they they never watched a horse racing um, race in their lives. But once I got in it, and, you know, we started talking in groups and things like that. It just got more and more contagious, you know, people more excited now that, you know, friends of mine, <laughs> you would never imagine would even like horse races. I mean, they're on top of it as much as I am. So it's exciting. I think there's a big future coming. That's great to hear. Are you interested in racing from a gambling point of view? Do you put your money through the windows? And if you do, uh, how do you like to play? Yeah, um, I'm not a, you know, everybody laughs at me because I'm not a big gambler. I mean, my, <laughs> that is ironic. I'm in the gambling <laughs> business, but, but I'm not, I, I don't actually do a lot of gambling because you're almost playing both sides of the table, if that makes any sense. And um, mm-hmm. to me, you know, the horse racing, I put, so much money on the other side i just kind of let it ride i mean i'll i'll lay a few bets down you know from time to time up in saratoga i laid the bet down but as far as um you know that part of it i feel like my gamble is on this side of the table not the other side <laughs> it makes perfect sense you've got enough on when you have so much invested uh, there's a very right. marginal extra thrill you're gonna get from betting i was just curious because you came from the from the casino side to to pick your brain about that um, I want to talk to you about some of the other runners you have in your stable right now. Uh, I, I'll say I first became aware of you. I was a big fan of a horse you had a, a couple of years ago now called Zing Zang, who I, I was very interested right. in. Gave you a little taste of the, the Triple Crown Trail. Might loop back for a question about that one. But what else do you have going on in the barn right now? Anybody else we should be aware of and waiting to run? Well, not at, not at this point. I have um, three different. I have um, three mares and another um, coat, but they're all two year olds. But nothing has run yet. Um, you know, we're trying to get them developed. The knees haven't closed. You know, all kind of different things. Um, um, Didi McGee, I bought half of a tampa coat. We call him Airspring. He's getting ready to go. I'm very excited about him. He's starting to look pretty pretty darn good. So we have our fingers crossed. But right now. Um, we're just, you know, looking forward to going to the sale and getting ready for next year. I think um, Basin has kind of ri- risen to the top this year. So I try to buy, you know, two to three studs every year. I'm going to do breeding also, and um, we're excited about that. My son-in-law carries all that. But my real interest in this business is the racing end. I've, my goal is to have, you know, a couple um, stud coats on the track every year. Fantastic, and yeah, you're doing, doing pretty, looking pretty good with the one uh, we saw last weekend. So you mentioned about the dream of the Derby. You were on the trail with Zing Zang. Just curious what that experience was was like as an owner uh, overall. Yeah, it's just it's kind of a feeling. It's hard to explain. I mean, the love of the horse, you know, things like that. And um, I contribute, you know, like this sport to owning your own sports team. I mean, you know, you got people that own pro football teams, people that own pro baseball teams. Well, you know, to go out and buy a pro football team, you got to have a billion dollars, right? <laughs> to me, oh, yeah. I can go out and I can buy a thoroughbred for $150,000 and I can have the same thrill, I think, 
as the owner of an NF football team because it's the same thing. You got to pick the horse, you got to pick the trainer, you got to pick pick the strategies. So to me, I relate a horse operation like I have is just like if I would own an NFL football team or an NBA basketball team. It's the same thrill and it's basically the same type of game in a sense. You know, you've got certain goals you set for yourself and you try to accomplish those goals. Well, that's a great, great way of looking at it. And we wish you all the success with Basin and this ambitious operation doing everything the right way. I hope we get a chance to talk again soon. Terry Green, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, I appreciate it, guys. What a fun interview that was, Sean. I wasn't kidding. Contagious enthusiasm. And so great to hear somebody coming from the other worlds of gambling and horses into our sport. We wish them all the success. And I wonder if they won't be active in this, uh, this uh, important horse sale coming up here in the next few, uh, the next few I, days. I, I would say they'll be active. Um, you know, my take from that interview, Pete, was was how refreshing it is, and and uh, you know, a guy who's involved in the gambling side of, of of business, and and I loved when he talked about it's an entertainment thing, and and that's the one thing I really feel like has been missing from um, racetracks is is you're an inter- you know this is a couple hours of entertainment. It's not just you know it it the horse players have to have a large role in it, and the horse players need to be taken what well of but you get more horse players by having it be an entertainment venue by having it where you can come with your whole family and there's things for the kids to do you can come with your wife and there's good places to eat or or entertainment you know i mean you to, you need to draw them in and if you draw them in they will find horse racing to be extremely exciting and extremely enjoyable um i i love hearing that from him i'd love to see him get more involved and have some racetracks help have him as maybe he needs to be a consultant i you know I didn't want to bring it up, but I would have loved to have heard his take on Churchill Downs not getting that uh, racing license or the casino license there for Arlington. You know, it's not something we need to go into on this show, but uh, that, was a, that was a big disappointment from, from a very large uh, and what we consider uh, a big company in our business. Yeah, you're probably right. The less said about that, the better at this point. Though I do know some listeners have been disappointed not to hear our take on it. We've just had so much stuff going on. We'll tackle that one on the flagship in the Money Players podcast on a show soon. I promise that to the fans. But before we let you get out of here today, Sean, I do want to talk about the Keeneland September sale. It begins on September 9th, goes through the 22nd. Obviously, you're going to be super busy um, with your your day job for this but what kind of buzz are you hearing coming into this sale what what should we be uh, what should we be expecting what what can the fans of this show be on the lookout for as this one gets underway yeah certainly the marathon's about ready to begin it is a long two and a half weeks um, <laughs> it's hot it's dusty the allergy season is kicking in at the worst time you and JK uh, with the allergies today I don't know what's going on <laughs> but but it's also a very exciting time, and uh, you know this is this is when when breeders get to showcase their crop, and uh, they get to take their product to the to the marketplace, and and this you know the Keeneland September and 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 November sales they're the true barometers of our of our marketplace, and they really tell us how how healthy our business is, and so far we've seen a lot of um, uptick in, in all the sales so far this year. Um, I think you're going to see records set again. I, I think you're going to see buyers coming in from all over the country. Keeneland does a great job of getting people in from all over the, all over the world. And, um, 
you know, I, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of fireworks at least through the first week. Um, book one and book two, where you have your your real high quality horses with the big pedigrees and and top notch physicals. I think everybody's going to be there competing for them, and uh, and I'm looking for for some great results. It's open to the public. If you want to come watch watch the horses sell, certainly come and, and hang out in the pavilion, and get something to eat. Um, it's it's uh, it's a fun experience that first week when you see horses bring over a million dollars and uh there's just a lot of energy there and, and and it's 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 fun and it's it's a lot of hard work but but uh you know i'm i'm excited for it and i think the the rest of the business is too let me ask you a novice question uh, that i think a lot of our horse player listeners uh, will be interested in at least i know i am compare and contrast the saratoga select sale with the these first few days of the keeneland sale why uh, what, how are they the same? How are they different? And why would a consigner choose to uh, put a horse in, in one over another, or does it just come down to the affiliation of the sales company? Well, certainly, um, you know, Saratoga is a very strict uh, entry. It's, it's a select sale. It's, uh, you know, very, you know, it's uh, 300 of, of some of the best yearlings you're going to find in the country, um, which is also what book one is. Book one is, is closer to 600 horses. If you incorporate book two as well, you're probably up to about, oh, 1,600 horses uh, off the top of my head. Um, so it's just a larger volume of it. Certainly, um, you know, if you want to take Saratoga and you want to take book one, and, and that's kind of where you have comparables, um, certainly getting the extra five weeks, of letting your horse mature uh, is another reason to go to go to September sale. Um, you know, in Saratoga, you're, you have about four more days of scrutiny up there. You have three or four more days where, where people can, can nitpick your horse. And, and at, at September, it's, it's kind of once it gets rolling, it gets rolling. So, um, so the, you know, people may not, not be as scrutinizing of your horse uh, as they are at Saratoga. Um, you know, it's also, you don't have to ship a horse, um, you know, nearly a thousand miles away. It's, it's a little bit easier on the horse, a young horse. You can just, you know, you might only have to ship them five to six miles down the road to, to Keeneland. Um, so those things all come into play. Um, but you know, Keeneland is, is the premier, uh, yearling sale. It's, it's a two and a half week sale. And, uh, like I said, they've, they've got something for everybody. So whether you're looking to jump into the big pond and, and spend a million dollars, they have that. And if you want to go and, and find one for fifteen dollars or $20,000 and take it, take it to Finger Lakes where you're from or, or Thistle Downs or wherever, you, they, they've got that as well. And, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's a great way to, to get involved. Uh, you know, Keeneland's open. They'll, they'll, their, their credit line offices are open, and I'm sure uh, their, their number's easy to find. So if, if you have interest in buying a horse, um, there's going to be lots of agents out there to help, and, and uh, Keeneland will be more than willing to help you get signed up to be a buyer. Operators are waiting to take your call. <laughs> Let me ask you before we wrap up this edition of the In the Ring show, Sean, any particular storylines that fans might want to follow in terms of uh, sires to watch, or is it more for you a case of just looking at it for a barometer of the overall business, like you said before? Well, I do think... Overall, it's the barometer. Um, you know, from a, from a stud farm perspective, um, you know, for horses with first yearlings, it's uh, it's quite uh, impactful to to get them off to a good start and have them have a have a good yearling average. 
uh, for, for their first crop. That's going to that's gonna help us uh, get, get high-quality mares to them this coming up, upcoming breeding season. Obviously, um, you know, for those really elite sires, it, it's going to tell you what people make of them. You know, uh, does Windstar want to go and, and breed to tap it at 200,000 or Quality Road at 150,000? Or, you know, you, you kind of, you know, if, to be able to, to spend $300,000 on a stud fee, you have to be able to have the ability to, to lead one over there and have the hopes of, of getting $500,000 or more. It just doesn't make economical sense. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things. You, you, it's really, it's, it's, you know, this is where the market tells us what's going on. So uh, for Windstar, in a large part, you know, we're going to be selling about 85 yearlings ourselves. Uh, certainly, of our 20 stallions on the roster, we're going to be paying attention to all of their progeny and then trying to find the next Justify out there. So uh, it's a busy two weeks for us, a lot going on, really exciting. And uh, come on October 1st and let's get Keeneland uh, fall going. The Keeneland September, Sarah, where the rubber meets the road, it sounds like. Sean, will we be able to have you? Are you going to be so crazy? Or are we going to be able to have you on the show the next couple of weeks? You could, we'll do the old production meeting in the middle of the show right now. <laughs> Well, we'll just have to play that by ear. Uh, you and J.K. might have to get more on the horseman's hours than the uh, podcast hours. To, <laughs> oh, to I'm get fine the with that. So. I'm, you know me. I'll, you, you and I have conversations at 5.30 in the morning when he's still out yeah. from the night before. Uh, I just, I, I don't want to hear any grunts and moans coming off the yoga mat while we're on the, <laughs> on the air together. I can, I'm, I'm good with yoga. I can do it, you know, morning, noon, or night. It's, it's one of the great things about the practice. It, it can always be scheduled around the podcast. Speaking of which, there's a noon class just a few blocks away, and I think I'm going to wrap this show so I can get to it. I want to thank Jonathan Kinchin. I want to thank Sean Tugel, of course, and Terry Green for that wonderful visit. I'm already the writer in me, already plotting what I might do with some of those great quotes that Terry Green gave us today jackpot farm congrats to them with uh, basin and this uh, exciting new operation they've got going down there in lexington that'll do it for this edition of the in the ring pedigree podcast this show has been a production of in the money media in the money media's business manager is drew Cotney. i'm peter thomas fornital may the hammer drop your way <laughs>